Greetings, everyone. This is a call to actions. I'm your host, Bobby Vaughn. Tonight's interview is with Army whistleblower CB. He's a former paratrooper from 82nd Airborne Division out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Let's get it going. Can I can I mention your name? Ah, you can call me CB. 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 All right, CB. Um, yes. So you had some military service. That that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I served. uh, Joined the military in 1995, and I spent uh, most of my time. The first several years in the reserves, and then uh, eventually going active duty to where I was uh, stationed in uh, after, of course, basic in AIT and um, airborne school. I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I was a paratrooper at Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love my country, you know. Uh, I'd do anything for my country, but uh, when I was younger, you know, of course, growing up, you know, with all the, it was mental and physical abuse, mm-hmm. the systematic abuse, you know, growing up, and yeah. then um, to get away from that, uh, leaving home to join the military, only to be... Uh, confronted with uh, a type of abuse that you've never seen before on any scale mm. is uh, it was definitely disheartening especially when it's uh, supposed to be from your brothers in arms yeah yeah mm-hmm. wow <clears throat> Fort Bragg uh, North Carolina you said correct yes sir yes okay Home of the 82nd Airborne Division. 82nd. Alright. Maybe maybe I'll find a patch somewhere and ship it to Athletic you. Athletic Alcoholics. It's the one with the two A's and the blue patch with the red around it. Yeah, the white. Okay. Okay. Right on. Alright. Uh, what what year was this? What, what When did it start? Right, it was right around, oh, I would say 2004-ish. I never got the chance to deploy with the uh, 82nd Airborne Division. Okay, uh, that's good. I ended up getting uh, hurt on a jump, and uh, I ended up having to stay back in a uh, rear detachment. And uh, while I was on rear detachment, uh, I was put on funeral detail. So my job was to uh, be on the funeral detail of the soldiers that were coming home that were killed in action overseas. And we would go around and uh, perform the funerals, the funeral details mm-hmm. uh, throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Those, I think, a uh, total of, I think, between 2004 and five ish right around maybe seven to nine funerals that I did. 
Yeah. Interesting. So in 2004, like, what's it like when you just arrive at Fort Bragg? Well, as soon as you get off the bus, you get a briefing. Um, it's usually right after you're airborne school. You uh, you fly out. You go back. You go. Of course, you go to Bragg. And then you um, and process through there, and they tell you uh, what company you're going to be with, what battalion. Uh, and then uh, you show up to your battalion and uh, you meet your platoon and you meet your uh, your company commander and your first sergeant and all that and you, you get assimilated into uh, finally being out of your training and going into you know your, your place of work mm -hmm. so to speak okay all right. <clears throat> so it's general getting used to your environment just right up front. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get used to it. I mean, the military has its own way of doing its its own thing. You know, it's completely different yeah. than civilian life. Um, but you do get accustomed to it, and it becomes like second nature. Um but when you have things occurring that aren't just innocent horseplay or pranks, that's when it can become uh, detrimental mentally and physically to a person. Mm -hmm. um, by all means, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not a pussy. Mm -hmm. You know. I can <laughs> but, tell. Uh, yeah. Some of the things that uh, happened were were pretty bad, pretty bad. Yeah. Um, once I was, uh, it was for my thirtieth birthday, and uh, I was literally uh, this is just for them having fun. I was beaten. I was black and blue with a two by four. Jeez. And, uh... Really? Why? Yeah. It was my birthday. Well, you should be treated with respect. You would think. But, I mean... And you really feel like you can't say anything when something like this happens. You know, because... You don't want to get your, your fellow brothers-in-arms in trouble for anything... Because that could lead to court martials. It could lead to all kinds of drama and bullshit you don't want, you know. And then you can, you know, you can get transferred out of the company, or whatever can happen. You could be labeled as, oh, you're just a, you're just a snitch, you know, mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was to the point to where. From about the neck down to my waist, I was bruises. Can you know? Of course, you know they're black and blue. But I had no idea that bruises could turn blood red in the middle, 
and it was uh, all the way down from my neck all the way down to uh, the middle of my knee. Man. Yeah, wow. it was pretty bad. Wow, how could you even walk? Man. Well, how could I do the 15-mile run every morning? Is that's what it was. <laughs> no. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> yeah. We ran the loop, ran up Long Street. I think that was 15. It may have been 10. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I did have, uh, there was some good times. There was bad times in the military, you know, and... Looking back on it now, I wish that I would have, you know, I could have easily have defended myself, you know, but when there's more than three or four of them, <clears throat> you can't really put up a fight or something like that. Right. And uh, they it just wasn't me. This is, They did this to each other. Like, this was a, this is something that they just got their jollies off of. Like, it was... Uh, Jeez. Yeah. Hmm. Constantly. That <clears throat> that disturbs me a little bit. It didn't feel too good either. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going in <clears throat> thinking, you, you know, you're going in to serve your country, your fellow brothers and sisters here in America. Um, you know, thinking you're you're going to help protect us, and then you know your brothers in arms there are abusing you while you're there already. Ah, uh, is I mean, how far in was it that this? You occurred? call it hazing? Oh, it was the entire time. It was it's it's the entire time that I was stationed there from before to. Uh, the start of 07. So uh, it was pretty much systematically of almost every other day. Hmm. Hmm. Well, like, um, like threats or, um, so uh, that, that... Not necessarily threats, more like surprise attacks. And this, of course, you know, just wasn't me. And I think it got worse because I never did actually fight back. I did fight back one time, and they were all really surprised that I did. I grabbed the guy, lifted him up off the ground by his throat, and body slammed him to the ground. Mm -hmm. And I took him out. Mm -hmm. And then it just got worse from there. But uh, it's something that they... It was, it was something they did to me right off the bat, being uh, being new as well, like an initiation, you know. And this it kind of brought to me to the mind the whole fact about you know gang members joining the military to learn uh, tactics and and our way of life, so they can come home and try to uh, breed that into their own populace when they get home. Wow. Like militarized gangs. Blood in, blood out kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And, uh, it can be very mentally damaging, especially to someone who is 30 years old this time, who is just like, what the living fuck is going on here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what? 
<laughs> these kids, these guys, they're kids to me. These guys are 18 to uh, 20 years old to mm -hmm. me. They're kids to me at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a while, it was just like, oh well, you know, that's just what they that's just what they do. But then over a course of time, I was like, no, this is something that they and, and I watched it, they do it to everybody. You know, we're wow. talking uh, NCOs and uh, enlisted, literally having you know, I don't like hand to hand, fist to fist fights and stuff. Like, there's a difference between training and hand to hand. Mm -hmm. And then uh, an NCO walking up to somebody and then just cold cocking them, knocking them on the ground. Right. And I understand you learn you got to know how to fight while you're in the military, I understand that. And hand-to-hand -hand combat and uh, ground tactics are essential. Especially, you know, I, I totally am all for um, ground fighting like level one and level two, level three, etc. to be able to become a better paratrooper or whatever it is that you're getting into. Mm -hmm. But to have it done to you um, Systematically on a daily basis, yeah. almost made me. The the two by four incident was the one that almost made me seriously just want to lock and load on them. Yeah. At the firing range. Oh yeah, I I really just about did a freaking one eighty with an M four. Sheesh. That sounds like it sounds <laughs> like, like you know what I've had enough of you assholes. Sounds like a close one, yeah, yeah. I want to take out your kneecaps. <clears throat> well, yeah, it makes me one makes me wonder if if they. And it's not like you know, I can understand how sometimes some way of it is either all of it's funny or none of it's funny, you know. And it, but some of it was, you know, some of the fights and stuff they did have was a bit funny, but they took things way too far, you know, mm. to a point to where. Um, it was physically painful daily. Wowzers. And to just really kind of put a grasp on that, it would be you think everything's okay. You're walking outside of a building and you have someone waiting outside with a pipe. Wow. It's like I lived with the gang from A Clockwork Orange for three years. I still need to watch that. One of my one of my favorite bands um, created an entire album, I believe, uh, based off that uh, The Addict, good punk rock band. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> yeah. I, just after that first incident uh, with the 2x4, that would be enough for me to say, hey, guys, I got to head out. I, I can't stay here doing this stuff. You know, but you roughed it out. It they'll just like, charge you. With a, they'll just make you AWOL. Yeah. And now your whole life is ruined. That Wow. So it's like all or nothing, kind of. Yeah, it is. It's, you're stuck there. Yeah. You can't go anywhere. 
you and they're your roommates they live right next to the left and right of you wow it's like prison yeah <laughs> except without the butt rape <laughs> you just get your ass kicked all the time man why no it makes me wonder that's that's nuts why they would just do that uh, what is that uh, term called? Machoism? I don't know. No idea. I don't know. Makes them feel better? I don't know. Why does a person abuse the way that they do? Why does anybody do anything that, you know, that they do? I've learned that I don't put anything past a human being. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, it mm-hmm. shit doesn't surprise me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Especially having my own podcast and doing research on it yeah. and looking at stuff and going, you know what? That's not surprising at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were, man, you, you said it directly, like, exact. Never underestimate the power of the human species. Mm-hmm. That's good, yeah. honest, it's, great it's, words. We're, we're batshit individuals. Well, we're, we're capable of some very good things but also yeah, full spectrum we're capable of a lot oh yeah you've been on the deep web you've seen some of the crazy shit that goes on I'm sure yeah yeah and you know what's what's interesting is it doesn't just exist in the second dimension that's actually coming from a the third dimension um, you know, here it's coming from somewhere on Earth, here, you know, and um, <clears throat> I wonder, I wonder, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, those guys need to be looked at. Um, these were they, were they, you think these were were they kids that were that were just messing with you? They were just like met like. It was completely turned to the other cheek by all the uh, higher-up NCOs as well, you know. And, that um, confuses me. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I thought. I've never heard anything like this before in my life. Well, hazing um, doesn't... They didn't understand that this does not contribute to the training or development of a human being whatsoever. You know, it's uh, it causes you know physical and mental harm. Yeah. So uh, oh, hold on one second. Yeah. Halt. Yeah. But uh, was it localized to just your um, your station, or was it? Was that is that something that goes on at? It seemed like from what it was, it was localized to our company. Yeah. Really, I'm sure that I'm sure that it uh, took place in maybe a couple other areas, but it was definitely just localized to uh, to ours. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it makes makes me wonder. Makes me wonder if there's there's somebody in management there that's actually use 
using that as a managing skill that it, it that it, it might <laughs> i see it. uh that it might actually be a uh, a management uh tool used or is that is that too far out well i don't think uh really or was it just the kids not per se same management but uh the higher up ncos and the uh commission the commissioned officers and non-commissioned officers you know need to understand that uh, something like this shouldn't be occurring and uh mm -hmm. they're the spearhead of what happens to their troops yeah yeah, they have to be the ones that uh, the responsibility falls on them. Mm -hmm. If I'm in charge of, you know, so and so, then whatever, their mistakes are my fault mm -hmm. in the military. Yeah. That doesn't really play out in the civilian world. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, you you, were, you went into 82nd Airborne as a paratrooper. <clears throat> what what is what does that mean exactly? Being a paratrooper, what is that? Uh, bird shit. Bird shit. <laughs> oh, something that you just jump, falls from jump the out air. of airplanes. Yep. Um, the 82nd Airborne is a uh, all American. They're America's quick response force that can be anywhere in the world within 18 hours. And, uh, of course, you know, depending on the situation. Uh, but uh, they're a good group of guys. They're, tough. they're a tough bunch. And uh, I do have a lot of respect for the Second Airborne, regardless of everything that's happened. Um, mm -hmm. They're... They're a good group of guys, and uh, the people I served with that uh, didn't partake in all this, you know, they uh, they had their heads screwed on straight a little bit, a little bit better than most other people did, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. You get a bad egg in every bunch. Uh, apparently they were all gathered up at that they decided to join that one company that day <laughs> sheesh I'd say yeah hmm yeah I wonder where they are right now it makes me wonder well probably definitely can't get away with the shit they did whenever they were in there that's for sure yeah hmm <laughs> But the 82nd Airborne, you know, that's a, uh, they've been around, oh shit, 1917 to, through 1920, 1921 to present. And uh, their role is airborne assault. And uh, they specialize in uh, parachute assault operations into uh, denied areas within a U.S. Department of Defense requirement to respond to crisis contingencies anywhere like I said, in the world within 18 hours. Mm -hmm. So you got to be Johnny on the spot. Yeah. We trained hard. We, uh, every day, every single day, we trained our asses off. And I don't know if it was a way of them to release the stresses of 
of the day out on certain individuals or whatever the case may be. But um, it was definitely detrimental to my mental health and well-being. Especially have already having already served almost uh, eleven years in the military already. Really, joined my time in the military before I went active duty. Oh, yeah, I was reserves for a long time before oh. I went active duty. Okay, and I loved it. You know, we we didn't train nowhere near as hard as you know these guys do. Yeah, you know, but so when I had my break in service and uh, went active duty. Um, it was a whole different ball of wax, um, which I was willing to accept, you know, and eventually got transferred out of the company I was in and got moved to a different company because of, uh, that led to mental deterioration where I was just completely I was staying drunk constantly, yeah. constantly. I wouldn't even want to go into work. I would wake up for right after PT, go home, change, and I would, I would pound down probably a pint of Jack Daniels just to show up, just to be able to deal with the shit. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a life to live, man. I'm glad you're out. I'm glad you're out of it, and you're you're safe now. You got a a good lady. You got a, you got, a awesome. got a pod, podcast going. Yeah, your voice is. It's not a good podcast. I've got. I should have. I need to upload more. It's not really. It, it's decent, you know. But uh, well, you, I guess the more you do anything, the better you get at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's all learning opportunity. Um. <clears throat> yeah, it's shocking to hear hear that. Um, I wonder. Well, yeah, probably doesn't really even surprise you. I mean, you know, you, there's so much yeah. crazy shit that happens in this world. Um, eventually, after getting transferred out of that company, um, that's when I was transferred over into. Uh, they called us Devils and Baggy Pants. Uh, I won't say the company name, but I did that. Well, I just. Devils and baggy pants? Yeah. That's what the German officer said that uh, we looked like as we fell from the sky uh, in World War II. Devils and baggy pants. Wow. Yeah. yeah. German officer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You, you, were, you transitioned the, the uh, yeah uh, yeah well I was um, I was transferred over to um, uh, 3504 and that's the uh, they call it the nickname um, Devil's Baggy Pants because it's, it says here few units receive their nicknames from their exploits in combat even fewer derive their moniker from what the enemy calls them but with the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment of Paratroopers. That's exactly what happened in Italy of 1944. Uh, the 504th first met the Germans in Sicily along with the rest of the 82nd Airborne Division during Operation Husky. There was, uh, it was there that the Germans and Italians first discovered that the American paratrooper was uniquely a dangerous human being. The 504th next took part in the invasion of mainland Sicily. 
and uh, initial elements of the regiment to go into action were from the 3rd Battalion, who landed by sea with the Rangers at uh, Maori in the opening move of Operation Avalanche. Two days later, the balance of the 3rd Battalion, along with the 325th Glider Infantry Regiment, were diverted into Salerno Beachhead itself, but the situation there became tenuous. But as um, we jumped out of the airplanes and hit the ground, we overtook enemy territory with such fierce uh, force that uh, the Germans were like, those guys look like devils in baggy pants. And so the, the moniker stuck. Okay, okay. And wow. uh, I was finally in a company that uh, was normal. Mm-hmm. And then I got hurt on a jump. <laughs> I got put on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got put on that duty, and um, I got discharged out on medical. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were able to transition to a more peaceful environment from the crap that you had to go through. Um, well, you had to transform. A lot of things, and I have to. Uh, I had to learn to evolve. Um, coming back into the civilian world, I have to learn to uh, become a better person. Uh, I got a great wife. You know, I had a decent job. I mean, what more can anybody ask for? Yeah. I have a roof over my head and a space heater and a cold beer. Yeah. I mean, it can't get better than this. Yeah, seriously, man. You, yeah, you got, and you're speaking the truth. That's, you know, it's a great liberating opportunity. You're the first person I don't even think of. I think, no, I don't even think I've talked to my wife about this. She knew that it got crazy in the 82nd, but I think you're the first person I've even told about this. Wow. It needed to come out. <laughs> but it's just not the Army. You know, the hazing has been around for ages and eons. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know the Department of Defense doesn't tolerate hazing. You know, they wouldn't, they don't want uh, any, they don't want any part of that. But somehow, troops involved in this sort of thing think it's a building of morale. And I can understand how it could be to a point, but if there's a line to be crossed, it was pole vaulted over. <laughs> right. Yeah, I could, I could understand. I could understand like this situation. Hey, man, we're gonna let's scrap, scrap, literally scrap. Right. Yeah, but you don't grab. You do not grab two by fours or other objects and ritualistically um, hit another guy with with those. You don't it's, do that. It, it's fucked me up. Um, not to the point where it's. I mean, it's it's gotten uh, well. It's better, of course. Everything gets better with with time. Yeah, you know, but I definitely have a zero tolerance for bullshit now. 
Yeah. And like, you know, you watch these videos on YouTube and what something will get you triggered and you just look at it. I look at it and be like, if that person knocked on the window of my car, there wouldn't even be a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> even, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm Gen X, I'm old, you know, and I'm, I don't deal with all the woke bullshit, you know, the, the fucking, the cancel culture as well. It's just overwhelmingly <clears throat> everywhere I look. It's just what the society that we've become and what we're, what we're doing now. What did the people in the 82nd Airborne when they fought that day on D-Day, when they went in there in 1944 on January 4th, what were they doing? For this, for the shit that we're dealing with today, that's what my friends died for, is, and for what our ancestors in the eighty second died for is this woke culture where a guy doesn't even understand what gender he is anymore. I don't get it. I don't fucking understand it. It mind boggles me. It gives me thinky pain. It makes me want to drink a cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even. I have. I have. Uh, I have a Twitter account. I've got like one follower on it. That's <laughs> all right. I have, I watch YouTube and I, I I tried uploading a YouTube video, trying to get into the swing of the new culture. It was off there by the end of the day. I'm like, this is stupid as fuck. And I just deleted it. I'm like, this is dumb. I was going to go do a hike and I tried to do a hiking video. And I'm like, this is not happening. Yeah. No. Like, I do not look good on camera. Click, I just deleted it. My wife's like, why'd you delete all your videos? You know, you look decent on it. You, you sounded good. And I'm like, no, it ain't happening. Yeah, I just pussified. Everything's pussified. I can't. Hmm. And there's good people like yourself that can see it. They, uh, they see this thanks. pussified culture. When did we stop playing outside and having a good time and... When do we stop? Right. Uh, well, the being good people to each other. Right. The machines took over. Machines are really taking over people's lives. I'm seeing. I mean, yeah. who was it that said that everybody in the United States is a fucking cyborg now? <clears throat> yeah, Elon and Musk. If they don't, if they don't believe it, so. throw away their cell phone. See if they'll throw it away. Put it right in the trash. I'll put this phone right in the garbage if you tell me to. Yeah, same here. I mean, the only reason why I know is because I know you and I have a friend I need to talk to. Yeah. My, my contacts, I have five contacts in my phone. <laughs> I, that's because I would rather have four quarters and a hundred pennies any day. I don't talk to very many people. And a lot of that stems from all the shit that's happened to me in my life and the shit that happened while I was in the military, uh, deploying overseas and... Uh, Going into combat. Uh, God, man. One of the smelliest places I ever worked. I worked in a black side prison. When I was uh, over in Afghanistan. This is not, uh, this prison is not necessarily considered classified anymore because it was, back then it was considered classified black side. But ever since Joe Biden's glorious withdrawal from Afghanistan, and he forgot all the shit, I guess, that we brought over there. <laughs> yeah. It's not really considered a black site prison anymore. 
Hmm. But that uh, <clears throat> was a that was a that was a really interesting place. I've never heard never heard of that prison there. Um, In Bathroom? Yeah, it's right on Disney Boulevard. Disney. That's the name of the. Uh, that's the name of the street that it's on in Bagram, Afghanistan. Disney Boulevard. Disney Boulevard. Yeah, and I'm going to go a little bit more in-depth in this one. In Afghanistan. You're going to think I'm crazy when I start telling you this shit. Dude, you're tripping me out already, man. <laughs> okay, so... When I worked at this prison, um, I watched them interrogate people and stuff like that whenever I was in there, and... It's not what people think. These guys aren't getting waterboard or nothing. They they literally use an empty water bottle, and they just tap on the side of their. They're wearing the goggles. They can't see. Yeah. You know, we call them pots. Person under U.S. control, and they're wearing these goggles that no one. They can't see out of them. They're blacked in with spray paint. They can't see, but they're just getting tapped on, just very lightly on the side of the goggles, and they're asking a question. Well, they'll take shifts. They do this shit for eight hours straight, and then they'll stop. And then another person will come, they'll take shifts and bathroom breaks just and switch out just to keep tapping on this person and they'll ask questions. Eventually it breaks them. Normally they're broke the first day when we bring them in to the prison because they would play Guns N' Roses Welcome to the Jungle for 24 hours straight on 15 on a boombox. Really? Yeah. That gets yeah. them? Yeah. They're talking right away. I, but. No way. We had one inmate in there. Ooh wee! I'm debating on whether I should tell this one. Yeah, you probably should. You probably oh, yeah, should I'm tell it. I have to use the restroom. Can I pause? Will you be able to add a marker in here? Uh, yeah. Let me. Uh, I'm gonna use the restroom real quick. I got a red beer. I got a piss too. <laughs> I'll be right back. All right. trying to figure out the conversion of American to Afghanistan dollars because there's a story I want to tell you about this but All right. um, we had an inmate in the prison there detention facility names his number was 626 mm-hmm. and um, he was a uh, an American he was Pakistani, but he was American, and his uh, he had a company that would ship fabric to the United States. And inside these connexes, he shipped an unknown explosive uh, material. And who was writing off the weights of these connexes was Walmart, Kmart, J.C. Penney, and Sears. What? That was the rumor. Hmm. And when you hear a rumor like that in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan, kind of makes you have a what the fuck emoji. Yeah, <laughs> like it like it might be a matter of fact rather than a rumor, maybe. Right. Well, I didn't think much of it. I just knew the guy 
was arrested. His son turned him in. His own son turned him in, and he was arrested and brought into uh, Bagram Prison Detention uh, Facility. <laughs> well, there was a we'll scratch your back, we'll scratch our back to where with Walmart saying that uh, if you don't put us out of business, and of course you can look at all the other businesses and they've all filed uh, quote unquote bankruptcy, right? I don't I don't think that's the case. I think there was I think they got I think uh, Kmart, JC and Sears got put out of business because of this. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. It has, well, it has to be. There's this, this does not, my speculation doesn't. What happened to me after I got home from that, my break in service for I went active duty, mm-hmm. what kind of cemented this um, thought in my head here. Uh, yeah. I just kind of had to put two and two together. So, Walmart says, don't shut us down and we'll let you store. And I'm sure this is going to hit home with you. You're going to be like, oh, crap, I've heard of this. But I knew about this 20 years ago. This is already in my head. Before this, 10 years before the conspiracy period ever came out, I already knew. Walmart said, don't shut us down. We'll let you store military equipment and supplies in our Walmarts. We'll let you use them for supply storages, and the government said yes. And this was from who? This agreement was made between government and Walmart. United States, or, this, or the or the this is the this is the mentality. This is the thinking that I have on this because um, of what I saw when I left the military on my break of service. Mm-hmm. This is kind of what I put together. The whole uh, who was writing the weights off thing that was actually that was definitely overheard over there in Bogdan. But um, I came home, forgot about that place. It smells like hammered cat shit. I left there, came home, and uh, it was about a year. Yeah, almost a year. Like I said, I had a nine-month break in service, so I went active. Mm-hmm. And I uh, walked in, uh, drove up, went, got groceries at Walmart, Super Walmart. And uh, I was like, man, I forgot some shit. I was like, ah, I'll go back here tomorrow and get it. It's no big deal. I told the wife about it when I got home. The next day, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to go up there to Walmart. Now, keep in mind, this Walmart was busting. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Walmart, Super Walmart. Left to right, as far as you can see, candy corn, apple pies, and toilet paper. Mm-hmm. As I'm pulling up to the Walmart, I notice the parking lot's empty. And so during the week, so I'm like, I don't understand why there's nobody here. There's only like five cars here. So I didn't really notice it. I just, I got to get some shit that I forgot. Yeah. So I pull in, as I pull in, I get out as I'm walking up towards the Walmart. Of course, I have my phone in my hand. I'm kind of looking at it. And I look up and I notice there's black plexi. There's black, uh, what is that, cellophane over there? And it was put up hastily because there was air bubbles in it as big as, you know, five inch by two foot long air bubbles in it. So let's just mm-hmm. like throw it up and call it a day. Yeah. 
And as huh. I walked in, I didn't really see. I, I noticed as I walked in, there really wasn't many lights on. And I'm like, well, and I looked up. And as I looked up from the floor to about 12 foot high, from all the way to the back of the store, from left and right, it was military equipment. Wow. Really? And, and I was like, I don't think I should be in here right now. And I turn around, and I'm like, okay, well, there's, and I knew it was military because I could see bills of lady. I could see the spray paint on the side, U.S., all this, the numbers mm-hmm. and stuff on the, on the crates. It was crates. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what was in it. There was no vehicles. There was no choppers. There was nothing like that, no you know, heavy stuff. But this was just a fully functioning Walmart the day before. Right. And I walked outside, and I got met with uh, state troopers. Really? Yeah. As, uh, and they're like, Hey, you don't need to be here. And I'm like, well, kind of figured that. And yeah. uh, walked over to my car, got into it, and drove home. And one sat there, but the other one followed me all the way to the house until I got to the house. And once I got out of my vehicle and walked inside, he left. Mm-hmm. He might have seen, yeah, he might have done a background check and, you know, seen that you were military and passive. I told everybody, I told, I told the wife, I was like, well, this shit happened. And then I forgot about it. And then it started slowly sinking in because the next day, the day after that, I was like, I got to go back up to Walmart. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm thinking, how are they dealing with all the other people that go in there and want to go to Walmart? I mean, this wasn't like, this wasn't like some sort of, uh, this was some shit that was just happened for me. Yeah. There's other people that need toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the only one that wipes their ass. How are they dealing with all the other traffic that was in and out of there? And I think they forgot. I do remember seeing yellow cones, but they were down. Mm-hmm. So I think that I made it through there, up, up, up in there, while the cones were down. I didn't see it. I do remember seeing yellow cones, but I think that's how they're reverting traffic. And the more it sat into my mind... I'm thinking, wait a minute. This happened when I was over in Bagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They made a deal. Yes. Directly linked. A hundred percent. Sam Sam Walmart is rolling in his damn grave right now. Directly linked. This is the crazy part. This is where I told you I'm going to get you. Now, this is just something off the top of my head. Total conspiracy theory, which the first half of that could be you know, but what happened to me wasn't. No, no. Not I don't I don't consider any of what you just told me any, what? Uh, the conspiracy theory at all. Disney's Lilo and Stitch. What was the monster's number? I don't know. I haven't seen those. Six two six. No, it was experiment. Hold on, I gotta look that up. Hold on. <laughs> Let's see here. Hold on one second. All right. Man. So the uh, the guy that was that was being held at the prison that had the fabric company that was shipping fabrics over to the U.S., but he was also shipping um, weapons and stuff, right? And um, Sears, Walmart, JCPenney, signed off to allow that stuff to be stored well hold on check this out the experiment 626 is stitch's number created by disney was disney trying to tell us 
what was going on because the prison was on Disney Drive. Wow. Created by an experimental chemical by a Dr. Jumba Jokiba. On that's the evil genius for Lilo and Stitch. Huh. So it was I know Disney leaves Easter eggs, but does it go as deep as that? I don't think so. But wow, it might. That's just kind of my yeah. It might. That's an interesting yeah. one. That's an interesting yeah, as you were one. saying before, the they were I'm supposedly writing off the weights to the connect is allowing this in. So Walmart and all these companies at one time were in on a a plan against the United States. That is groundbreaking, earth-shattering news there. <clears throat> information and earth-shattering, earth-shattering information that probably will never see the light of day. Buried so deep and dark, it's probably now only someone's memory they've erased that shit. Yeah. Wow, but you kept it together somehow, man. God's had his hand on you. So well, I thought that was kind of thought that was kind of fucked up. I throw a little bit of Disney conspiracy theory in there since they love Easter eggs so much. I just thought that, and by the way, this was 2002. So 2002 is when Lilo and Stitch came out by Disney and it was called Experiment 626. Mm. That that can't be a coincidence. And it's also this guy's number in the jail? Right. Yeah. The guy that yeah, I just thought that'd be fun. See, I just like having fun with it, but no, I think you solved that one. It's Um, 100% facts. Holy moly! Well, I salute you, my brother. Uh, you you are now a a a podcaster, civilian, and um, looks like you're an independent um, investigator too, a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Is there such thing as militaristic investigating? <laughs> I know they do have military investigations, but I don't think uh, I'm nowhere near that high speed. But uh, I do have another wackadoo conspiracy theory that's 100% true. Well, give me the fact. <laughs> Here's the... That's an interesting... Uh, that's an interesting way that you just said that. I'm going to ride all around the conspiracy theory. I'm just going to give you the fact. Here's the one fact. All right. Two of my friends used to work at a casket company. They were both foremans, and they were the only ones tasked to build this coffin. They built two of them, sealed one shut with 145 pounds of filocrack foam, and welded it shut. They, came, they were given a, uh, a gag order by the local court system saying not to talk about the coffins that you built to anybody. And this, uh, they came home, and uh, they lived either one on each side of me, actually. And I was on the front porch drinking a beer, and they came up, and they are like, check this shit out. And I'm like, we're not supposed to be telling anybody this. He goes, who gives a damn? Here, look at this shit, Chris. Yeah. It's a gag order from the Michael Jackson family. Mm-hmm. Telling them not to discuss the construction of the coffins, plural, to anybody. There are two coffins. Two. That's the facts. Now, yeah. a few years after that, 
came a documentary talking about how Michael Jackson is still alive. Right. Yeah. So and all that other stuff, and I'm sitting here going, that wasn't in the documentary at all either. Wow. So it was all a big, a big charade, a big. And big apparently, scene. one got shipped back, and it was destroyed. Yeah. Well, this- very expensive coffin. It was destroyed. Later after that, I moved, and I never heard from these guys ever again. You said that, I, you said that I called a gag order. Yeah, you said he uh, worked for a casting casket company. Casket. Oh, casket. Um, casket company, and it was filled filled with concrete. You said no. They one of they it. filled it with uh, filocraft foam to an exact weight of around one forty to one forty five pounds, and then welded it shut. And oh, foam. I didn't think much of it until I watched the documentary Is Michael Jackson Still Alive? And I'm like, at the point of time I'm watching this documentary, I didn't even think about, I wasn't even thinking about what had happened with my buddies. Wow. Or what had happened with the gag order. I wasn't even thinking about it. I had forgotten all about it. But as I'm watching it, about halfway through, I'm like, hold on a minute. That shit happened. Mm-hmm. And his gravesite number is zero. Is it? Yeah, for there to be a body in there, there has to be a number. And for the last time I checked, I think there is an arm, there's a guard on his, I think the family has put a uh, security on his gravesite. So and that's for anybody to dig it up, to open it, to see what's up. Right. Because because it's just uh, foam. Right. Yeah, I know that was kind of wackadoo, but no, that that's uh, a true a true <laughs> fact that uh, I like crazy shit like that. I really do. Well, that's um, that's investigate. That's the investigator in you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a palate cleanser from all the uh, ass kicking and abuse topics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna bleep those out. Uh, God's had his hand on you. He, I mean, like, for you to go through all that crap in the military to get out, and, like, to, everything had to happen in that exact order, the way that it did, in order for you to be here to be able to tell the, the story. And, um, I'm still interested in this uh, this prison in Afghanistan, though. Still, it yeah. started off as a uh, Russian during the uh, the war when Russia invaded. It was uh, where they would build and repair aircraft in Afghanistan, though, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. What and city? Then, um, we took it over, put a wall around it, and uh, built. Um, see, I was uh, part of an engineering company when I was in the reserves. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went over there to um, to build, help construct this prison. And I was put as a liaison between the uh, the engineers and the non-engineer personnel, the officers, as uh, a liaison kind of uh, safety. 
So my job was to count every nail and every screw and every board that went in and came out of that place because there's no way to account for it. We already had inmates in there while we were building it. So we didn't want to lose a screw or a nail and one of them get a hold of it, they could turn it into a weapon. Exactly. So it was basically, we started from the ground up, we just basically swept it out and then put concertina wire on it and then brought inmates in, uh, Puck's person under U.S. control and had them in there. Uh, we had the worst of the worst in there. And the, from the time that I was in there, uh, there was there was none of that Abu Ghraib shit going on. Yeah. Um, these inmates were treated very respectfully. Um, other than the welcome to the jungle and tapping on the forehead with a water bottle, Red Cross was in there. They had... Uh, three meals a day, hot meals a day, delivered from the uh, their hometown of Kabul. They were given uh, their religious rites. They were given water, a place to use the bathroom, showers. Um, so, but I kind of lost track of what the hell I was saying. Um, yeah, you were working for the engineering Firm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the liaison between the safety. So we had to count everything and make sure everything was accounted for. And we built it from the ground up. We had to build a catwalk and everything on there. And uh, How long was the catwalk? Uh, it was probably 70 feet long. Yeah. Between 50 to 70 feet yeah. long. <clears throat> cool. That, yeah. Right on. And we on. probably had... 40, 40 to 50 inmates in there at one time. Okay. And we would build the cells out of plywood with the rebar on top and then put the for the windows, we would rebar them in and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was one guy in there that was scary as fuck, bro. He was a mercenary. And he, put the, he had no name, dude. This guy was a straight-up killer for hire. Whoa. He would just stand in there and do pull-ups in a freaking cell that was three foot by three foot. What? Dude was... Dude had a body of a god, man. This dude was just tattooed up, ink scars, bullet holes all over this dude. He was just raring, knocking out pull-ups all day long. You'd feed him, and he would just stare at you while he would... Stand and stare at you while he would eat as fast as he could and then throw his plate on the ground and just keep staring at you. This guy was a hardcore killer. I wish I could have broke him out of there. Man. Got him home to the U.S. and trained him up for the UFC. This dude was insane. For the UFC or, yeah. or wrestling? Logan Paul. This guy was crazy. Or a professional wrestler? Holy crap. Yeah, no, just straight up ground fighting. This guy was... <laughs> He scared the shit out of me. What was the size of his cell? Uh, maybe three foot by three foot. He had to sit to sleep. No way. He was separated. Oh, yeah, from everybody. Three foot by three foot. Three foot by three foot. Dude cannot. And he was in that sucker for probably... He had to transfer it out, take showers. They would move him to another cell. It was like maybe like uh, eight by ten. Not even that for a little while. But they put him right back in that one. As they wanted to keep his contact, keep him where he was at for as long as possible. 
He couldn't stand he up. He was happy. He was. He didn't give a damn. He was getting three hots in a cot. He didn't care if he slept sitting down. This dude was Johnny. He was a bad mother trucker, man. <clears throat> do, you, do you have any idea if he was eventually... He could go into any prison in the United States butt naked and within, within three days be affiliated with and be best friends with about half the people there and be well-equipped and armed. He was good. Man. He was... Three yeah. foot hold on, three foot by three foot. He was he had long hair. He had long hair about oh down past his shoulders. Yeah. Clean shaven. Real serious eyes. I mean this dude he had to have been every bit of probably he probably five foot eight. He's just ripped. And did he sleep like like curled up? He slept sleeping down. He was sitting down, curled in, just slept, woke up, shook it off, ate his meal, got up, stretched. Started doing pull-ups. And then he'd get him a shower and they'd move him up to another cell. They kicked him there for a little while and they'd move him back. Holy moly. But he was kind of a special uh, special thing there. I wonder if they were harvesting any of his DNA for... Uh, for no, I don't think he... For cloning program. Figuring out ways to harvest ours, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I wonder if... <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if uh, if anyone was was taking his DNA, you know, to, uh, to for any DOD super soldier experiments. Dude, this this guy was he was pretty intense. Yeah, I, I can I can. would do cell training like uh, where they would have one person acting like they're a disgruntled cell person in the cell, and they'd have to come in and clear the cells. You know, and uh, so I'd have about five or six officers carrying the shields while I'm acting like I'm a disgruntled inmate yeah. to do training and bust in to try to overtake me and put me in cuffs and stuff. Because I was stationed over there with a... Uh, I was an engineer, but I was stationed with the uh, a military po- uh, police corrections uh, battalion that was sent over there yeah. to oversee that prison. Yes. And since I was a higher ranking in the uh, in the facility for the engineers, they put me as a liaison for safety. Yeah. Well, I would tell the officers, hey, everything's fine. And I would give information what they need done and what the work they need done. I was kind of like the foreman between them. But I was over there with a corrections unit. It's a military police corrections. They're out of Arlington Heights, Chicago. They got a key for their patch. I can't remember. I think it was like... A, I can't remember the name of the company. They got a key for a patch, though, like a like a old skeleton key for their patch. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The good group of guys, good people. Um, and what's sad is a lot of the inmates that were locked up in that facility are innocent. Really? Yes. Hundred percent innocent. We had a few in there that were just completely autistic. And I mean, mentally challenged to the point we're talking happy smile, give hugs all the time, kind of, kind of mentally challenged. And one guy handed one guy a package and said, "Hey, go put that in the trash can." They used him to drop this off in the trash can, and it caused an explosion. People were hurt, killed, whatever the case may be. But because he's the one who put it in the trash can, everyone pointed the finger at him. Man. And this poor guy, this poor retarded dude, he's got four wives and 16 children. And he makes probably equivalent to a dollar a day. And 
Now he's not making any money for his family. You have people starving over there. Yeah. Ridiculous. I think there needed to be a good vetting process. Wow. To figure out who did what over there. Exactly. Let these people out and didn't do nothing wrong. The man's got to go work and take care of his family. And he'd been in there. When I got there, he'd already been there for 16 months. 16, 16 months. months locked up in a cell with eight other people you didn't know. Oh, my gosh. Screw that noise. And, but that's why I was looking at the uh, conversion scale. What's $100 in Afghani? I can't remember. <clears throat> Ooh, yeah, I don't. I don't have any conversion. I have to use Siri, but I'm on, on deck. Right now, but uh, I think it's like eight thousand, ten thousand dollars, something like that. Afghani. Hmm. But back then it was a little more. It was probably around twenty, fifty thousand, something like that. We went out to uh, to Kabul to go see the town and do a little pull of security and just kind of walk the streets. We were in uniform, and uh, we had an interpreter with us. There was about five soldiers and an interpreter. We parked the truck. We got out. We were walking around. And I looked over and I saw a woman holding holding a baby with one arm and I had a three-year-old little boy holding on to her burqa, is what they called those things, I guess. The, they covered their whole bodies in them, the burqa. Mm-hmm. He's holding it. And uh, she doesn't have any shoes on and it's like... Like... 15 degrees outside man it's wet outside there's snowflakes all over on hitting the ground it's wet traffic dirty mud grime on the streets somebody over there's cutting the head off the goat with flies on it and she's standing there holding these Jeez. and i'm like what happened and i looked at the interpreter i said hey why is she in her bare feet everyone else is wearing shoes he goes he goes i know her he says she was kicked out of her home because she looked at another man kick the boys kick the two children, the baby and the mom and the son out of the house because she looked another guy? said, yeah. I was like, hold on, I got this. I said, hey, grab grab two of the other guys here. And the interpreter's going, what What are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, right, just come with me. I said, I want you guy out here on your side of me. And this, uh, I said, hi, I'm Chris, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the interpreter's telling her everything, communicating back and forth. And I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a wad of cash. Because I've been sitting over there earning. I ain't been doing shit with it. What am I going to do? Buy a PlayStation? It's going to get dust in it. So I handed her over $100 in cash, put it in her hand, and the interpreter grabbed my hand and said, what are you doing? And I was like, I said, I'm, I'm helping her out. And he was speaking to her, and she saw her take that and hide it. She took it hid it in her pockets as deep as she could. And uh, mm-hmm. we kind of sounded off like one dollar, one dollar. You know, one dollar. We only gave her one. Everyone else, I want to think I gave her a dollar, one dollar. You know, but the interpreter later told me that they have to send people up there to get her out of town because I just gave her close to freaking twenty thousand dollars or something. I basically changed her entire life. I basically Mr. Beasted her ass. Gave her a new life. Completely. She had to be. Yeah, escorted out of the town. They would have found out. Yeah, I did not know that I was putting her life in danger by giving her that amount of money. Oh, I I've never been in a place like that. Yeah, well, I feel bad for doing it, but I guess you know. Yeah, there was there's the possibility she made it to a safe place and she was able to flourish and thrive. Actually, 
Is she gonna get her Gucci on? Now what the TikTok say? I don't know. <laughs> I don't keep up with that. <laughs> I don't download TikTok, man. You know, I don't, I don't like the fact that China is training its soldiers and educating its children while we're mimicking songs we can't hear in front of a camera that's developed to learn from us and give it to China. Right. It just sounds, yeah, that shit doesn't sit pussified, goddamn. Dur- during the whole dur- world today is just pussified. I, I'm gonna get on a rant about that shit. I can't do that. I won't do that to your podcast. <laughs> That's all right. Wow, wow. Um, yeah, well, these these American uh, prisons in Afghanistan. Of course, you know there are good guys everywhere, but there are bad guys everywhere too. And just because just because we're American, that doesn't automatically mean that everyone is a good guy or everyone is a bad guy, whatever. So in that situation, though, it appears to me that there were some bad guys working working for the U.S. military at this Afghanistan prison um, that were bringing bad guys working for the U.S. military for brag. Bring in these these people that I mean, it sounds like like constant. Oh, I don't like a concentration camp. Well, it was a it was a detention facility to house them until we found out. Some of them there were directly related to crimes. They were like, mm-hmm. "We know you're guilty. Yeah. You're in prison because you're guilty." And now that the Afghan people have taken the prison back over, mm-hmm. they still the Afghan people still have them in prison. Yeah, because they are convicted criminals. Right. One guy shot a Red Cross lady seventy-two times with a six-shooter. What about the innocent people, though? Um, that place is just so behind the curve. It's not like uh, they don't. There's no due process uh, wow. for the, the people that are over there. I mean, I hope that now that we're out of there, I hope things are going to get better for them, but. I just don't know. Hmm. I mean, I can't lose sleep over it. I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. But no, I'm just. I, I mean, we definitely should have left there a lot easier than what we should have. We should have given it a year, slowly pull the process out, and our people get everything, get all of our ducks in a row, make sure that our contacts, our secure contacts. Uh, our informants were protected um, because there's people over there that are left their ass hanging in the wind because the new night vision goggle technology records everything that's happened. Everything. All situations, who you talk to from the time you start your shift up until you end it. Mm-hmm. And now they have that. They just take the thing out, put it in the laptop and watch it. And now they know who John talked to this person, this person talked to them, so John's a snitch, there's a snitch, there's a snitch. Hmm. You know, and uh, I mean, the military equipment itself, like the helicopters and the Humvees, I could give two shits about. Everybody threw, a, threw their hands up in an uproar about leaving all the military gear, like the vehicles over there, but what people don't understand is that a Black Hawk helicopter needs weekly checks. 
It needs yeah. monthly. It needs monthly checks. It needs the oil needs to be drained off, sent off to be checked, and sent to laboratories. Mm-hmm. And there's parts that you can't get for that. So if you don't do these checks on Humvees, or I mean, the Humvees will last for a while, yes. But there's as far as the choppers go, and all that, the Blackhawks, whatever the hell they had over there. Within a f- couple of months, they're inoperable. All you have, unless you've got these specialized parts that need to be replaced all the time, mm-hmm. they're they're basically fucked like Chuck. They can't do nothing with it. It's a giant paperweight. So it would cost more to ship it back than actually what it's worth because these things are made by the lowest bidder anyway. Mm-hmm. All this military equipment's made by the lowest bidder. Mm-hmm. Hell, leave it over there. It'd be less expensive just to take 50,000 more of them, drop them off, and leave them over there than it would be to ship them back. <laughs> yeah. War is expensive. Yeah. What What about... Yeah, I'm wondering about the... I just wish they would have put more time and effort into building the prison a little bit nicer, the facility, I should call it, and call it, you know, give it a nice name, give it people the, the adequate... Uh, Respect due given because, you know, Muslims, as I know of, that they are very respectful people. Mm-hmm. Even the worst of the worst, they're still very respectful and will let you in your home even if they don't know you. Mm-hmm. I met so many beautiful and wonderful people when I was over in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, just like any with anybody, you get your people that are just nuttier than squirrel shit. There ain't nothing you can do about that. Like the guy that shot the Red Cross lady 72, 76 times with a six-shooter pistol. He's nuts, you know. But hopefully that they can have a due process now to where they can uh, weed out the ones who did do it, didn't do it. But that takes money, it takes funding, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah, war is, in general... I think it is a is a big waste of money. Um, well, and when you're giving me one good slice of a of a big big waste, war of money. might be useless to some people, my brother. But the blood, uh, the tree of liberty, must be watered by the blood of its patriots from time to time. From time to time, minute men not for twenty years straight. No, minute men <laughs> still exist. Figure this shit out an easier way to do this. I mean, <laughs> Minute men still exist. <laughs> That's confidential, though. <laughs> You're a minute man. I consider you a minute man. You know, anybody who's a patriot who does the right thing and is ready to respond at a, at a moment's notice is a minute man. You know, <laughs> I'm just waiting for a, a black guy in a cowboy hat to walk up to me and tell me I need to go over to and do my next mission. <laughs> for Fallout 4. Oh man. <laughs> Is that the Minutemen on Fallout 4? I've I haven't I played so. any any new video game. I don't play new video games. I haven't. <laughs> it is the Minutemen. It is. Wow. Wow. Hmm. Great great oh, conversation. Sanctuary that needs your help right now. <laughs> What's that? I said, there's people in Sanctuary that need your help right now. That's all Fallout 4. But, you know, there are uh, (laughs) the people that respond and act to 
help others, rather it even be a simple gesture of kindness or to help somebody that's homeless or what it is that you do, you uh, you talk about all the crazy stuff that goes on in the world, you bring a light to that, you aim that spotlight over on it so where it gets its moment in the sun so people can see it. That's important. Try to. Those are the men in them. Those are the patriots. That's what I, what I try to do, yeah. Yeah, call it what you want, man. Uh, I, I really appreciate that, though. That's really nice of you to say. You know, I got the shit kicked out of me in the Army. Who didn't? I mean, when I went through basic training in 1994-ish, it was a different ball game back then. You know, it was just... I really didn't think that it was going to... I thought that after basic training, that was the end of it. I didn't know it was going to be 10 years later after I went to Fort Bragg, it was going to start all over again. I was like, damn, I thought they were behind the curve. Yeah. <laughs> They're bringing this back? Yeah. <laughs> but when I was in basic training, they thought that uh, it was me that was peeking in on the girls' locker one time. And so the two drill sergeants both grabbed me, uh-huh. took me downstairs into this uh, <laughs> empty room, all the lights are out except for one swinging light bulb. And if you go to a room with one chair and one light bulb, you're in a iffy situation. Yeah. Um, and I never made it to the chair. They both beat the living tar out of me. One held me up while the other one hit me like I was being interrogated like Jason Bourne. Holy mom. And then as soon as they were done with me, they threw me on the floor and... Uh, a guy knocks on the door, opens it up, goes, Joe Sergeant, Joe Sergeant. He goes, what? He goes, we got the guy that was doing it. He just confessed. He's upstairs in your office. I was like, I told you I didn't do that shit. <laughs> but see, they didn't care back then. Back then, uh-huh. when you first went in the Army, from there on back, like especially during the Vietnam era and stuff, you're getting your ass handed to you, you know? It's called wall-to-wall counseling. Mm. Um I knew, I kind of knew what was expected of it when I first went in because I did research on boot camp and talked to my elders about it before I went. Mm-hmm. My grandpa was like, they're going to slap the shit out of you. And I was like, that's probably what's going to happen. And then I got through it and I'm like, okay, it's over, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I, I get to the area where there's a Blackberry and an iPhone and then they're doing it again. I'm like, get the hell out of here with this shit. Mm-hmm. I bring these guys back to time. I like to take all those guys that did that to me back in the 82nd Airborne, put them in a time machine, and drop them back off in basic training during the 1990s. <laughs> have about two of the biggest, blackest drill sergeants standing there, grab a hold of them and drag them. It, it, it was interesting. I had a drill sergeant pick me up over his, This dude was so big, I was low crawling, and I, was, uh, and I had my weapon in the dirt. He picked me up, and at the time, I was probably 190 pounds. This dude had arms like a freaking tree trunk. Big around my legs were his arms. He just picked me up like it was nothing. I felt myself levitate off the ground, (laughs) and he picked me up over his head and threw me 15 feet. I had never seen anything like this before in my life. Good grief. He goes, he goes, I told you to get your damn weapon out of the mud, private. I was like, Roger that, drill sergeant. So, yeah. <laughs> that was back in the 90s. Wow. You know? But it was kind of expected back then because, you know, you you 
wants full metal jacket, you know? You know, you've heard the stories from the older military men. Men build men, you know? Hmm. And there's that saying, and I'm going to jack it up if I say it. Uh, Joe Rogan said it this one time. He said, uh, what was that? Um, Soft men make hard times. Hard times make hard men. I I don't know. Uh, Hard times make hard men. Yeah. Maybe. But you know what I'm getting at. Someone out there Google it. (laughs) Maybe. Tough, so t- tough I, times I did, make. You know, I, I did get it, but it was just like threw me for a loop. Because at the time I'm yeah. 30 and I'm already been in the military so long, my back's already about shot, my legs are done. And I'm like, they're picking up on this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my my back the same from uh, 22 years of scootering. Yeah, <clears throat> scooter. Yeah, tricks. Yeah. Oh, using a razor. You like a razor? Yeah, professional grade scootering. Yeah. Like the real skinny metal? Yeah. Yeah. Them things will break your ankles, man. Yeah. I used a skateboard. When I was a kid, I would I used a skateboard. I had a Palparolta. <laughs> uh, I was nice. a big fan of uh, Mike Vallely. Oh, oh, yeah. Those skateboarders. Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Mike V? Man. Yeah, I, I took a lot, lot of influence from from him in scootering. I took a lot of uh, influence from skateboarding, uh, and brought it into my scootering. Mike Vallely's a bad trucker. Yeah, he is. He is. You see, you remember the Mike V video of him? Um, oh, when he was out there with the MTV bus. I don't know. The guys were picking on him. He took his shirt off and took out six dudes. Yeah, yeah. you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, Bam Margera was there. Yeah. Another real quick story. When I was stationed at Bagram, I was on patrol, and uh, I was outside pulling guard, and we had heard that a a VIP was showing up, and they put the prison on lockdown. And so we all, I went inside, and... uh, Everybody was like real hush and quiet. Bunch of Red Cross people came in. And uh, all of a sudden, about an hour later, this guy walks in in chains. And he's got goggles on. And I look up. And I'm like, I know who that motherfucker is. Hmm. I didn't say nothing. I just cut myself. Did the, I was the doorkeeper, opened up the door, let him in. I took his cuffs off of him, put him on the table. That was Saddam Hussein. And he walked into there and the Really? Cross. Yeah, and he was doing an interview. He's only in there for about 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes tops. And, I, and while he's in there, I'm looking down at these handcuffs and I'm like, those look just like the ones I got on me right now. So I reached down, grabbed my handcuffs, pulled them out, put them on the table, put those. Put them in my pocket. Yeah. I got the handcuffs that were on Saddam Hussein. No way, dude. <laughs> no now, way, man. Whoa. <laughs> Crazy. So they, yeah, they took they taught him in. I put the cuffs back on him. Of course, I'm using my key. I make sure everything works. Same. It's the same. It's a pair of hinged handcuffs. They don't have to change. It's hinged. And put them back on him. He left. 
And I'm like, I know who that was. I could tell by the even with the goggles on, you see enough of this dude on video, pictures, and everything. You know who it is. Yeah. He leaves, and then I go back out on my patrol. And I'm like, okay, this it's snow. This not snowstorm. This dust storm starts picking up through. It's like the 50 days of wind or whatever it is out there, and it's blowing hard. That dust is like baby powder, so it's caked all over my goggles. And it's caked all over my, my eyewear, my protection, and my uniform, my weapon. Everything looks tan. I look like I've just been dusted, antique, real bad. <laughs> I got there for about another four hours, and uh, they're like, hey, another VIP showing up. And I'm like, what? I'm like, Get out of here. And I look over my shoulder, and I see a USO van pull up. And... Uh, I'm like, okay, it's USO van. Let me just walk over to the side here. And this old man, door opens, and this old man steps out. He's about five foot tall, real stocky, big, muscular, got a crew cut, got kind of grain hair, and uh, wearing a white t-shirt, black pants, and a pair of Converse shoes. And he's facing away from me. And I'm saying, that guy looks like Henry Rollins. I said, but if he has a, as soon as I was thinking black flag tattoo, mm -hmm. turned, and I saw the black flag tattoo on the back of his neck, and I'm like, is that fucking Henry Rollins? And he's standing outside the prison gate of the, of the, of the, of the detention facility. So I look around, and I'm like, Okay, I put my weapon down and I walk over to him. I'm like, uh, what's up, Henry? Mm -hmm. He just goes, how's it going, man? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, brings you to Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. He goes, well, you know, just uh, here to say hi to all the troops. You guys uh, doing a really good job. Uh, it was a long flight, man. I'm really tired. So, see, I could understand that. I, I, I totally get that. So I'm a big fan. I just, uh, I have a question. Was it? Uh, did I hear your voice on a Max Payne video game? And he goes, "Fuck, I gotta eat, man." All right. I <laughs> so I saw Henry Rollins. And I'm like, you know, who you just missed earlier, right? <laughs> like, oh, if you just were here. Wow. Few hours before. <laughs> wow. What's, yeah, that's, uh, did that's you, what happened to me over there. I thought it was pretty cool. Did you say? Oh, okay, so so he wasn't in he, he wasn't in handcuffs, was he? No. All right. No, no, no. He was USO. He was there. Uh, he was there um, uh, to say hi to the troops. He did a yeah. uh, quick twenty minute stand up uh, spoken word for the troops at the gym, and then. Uh, he popped smoke, went back, went to some other place. Wow. Wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah, he was doing like a little tour there, just kind of uh, seeing the, uh, the uh, one of those uh, the orphanages and stuff where mm -hmm. the children are missing their legs and stuff like that. And yeah. was kind of just going around seeing everything. Yeah. He, uh, he signed one of the bombs. Uh, one of the bombs that were out there that were being loaded into one of the aircraft. I guess he wrote like, "I bet you didn't see this coming." <laughs> He's like, "That's what he wrote on the." And Sharpie, 
But they stopped doing that because the Sharpie marker, uh, apparently, just just the width of the paint on the Sharpie marker yeah. has made it to where the trajectory just alters just slightly, so yeah. other things are being hit other than their <laughs> targets, but they stopped people doing it. They can't do that no more. I, I can't remember what he wrote. I think it was like, I bet you didn't see this coming, or uh, smile, it's going to be a good day. It was something like that. I can't Wow. Wow. Interesting stories. Holy moly. Yeah. Man, you really, you threw me uh, a curveball f- full of, full of stars there. Yeah, but mark my word, Walmart store and shit. Yeah. No, that's 100%. Just... And that's mm-hmm. just, that's the way it is, man. I don't... Yeah, well, someone's got to say it. And you lived through it. You're brave enough to speak out. I mean, hey, I salute you, brother. And to me, what you just did is your true service to humanity. That's me. And I want to thank you for speaking out on behalf of... uh, I'm going to have a black car parked outside my house tomorrow. (laughs) With me in it. (laughs) I'll be in it. I applied for the CIA. (laughs) I just wanted to sweep the floors. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I was like janitorial services or whatever. I said, I don't give a damn. Why do you want to join the CIA? And I just wrote, I was drunk as shit <laughs> whenever I applied. And I was like, you know what? Because you guys are badass, it would be really cool to work there. <laughs> That's all I think I put. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't got back <laughs> to you yet? I can't keep secrets, guys. It gets too cool. I have to let people know. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. So I can't, I can't have like a, uh, what's that, the, the Q uh, clearance or whatever that. Oh, yeah, Q clearance. Octopus clearance or whatever kind of crazy shit they got. Yeah, back, yeah, back in the day there was, was a Q clearance, which is, uh, you know, the highest security clearance in the country, anti-terrorism, guarding materials for, for nuclear bombs. Yeah. I had a uh, a top secret clearance, but it was to make ten dollars an hour to flip eggs at the Anderson Army Depot. <laughs> really? Yeah, you had to have a top secret clearance to even be on there because it was DOD, and that's where they make all the military stuff, all that cool shit. And uh, all I did was making ten dollars an hour for thirty hours a week flipping eggs. They're like, you need a top secret clearance. I'm like, whatever. Mm, wow. I think I got one while I was in the military, but the job they wanted to put me on didn't pan out, so I think they stopped it. So yeah, yeah. I don't see the use for them. I'm more of a boots on ground, get my hands dirty, drop a mag, reload kind of guy. I like. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't have PTSD from combat at all. I don't. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Well, you spoke out about it. I'm really glad you did. Um, it's been been therapeutic for me <clears throat> to be able to, to have this uh, this podcast with you, Chris Bardu. Is well, it? Man, it was uh, it was good having you on mine for sure. I welcome you on mine anytime you want to come on there, bud. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's this episode's plenty. gonna be a doozy. <laughs> It'll be a doozy. <laughs> plenty to talk about. Yeah, we'll stay in. Uh, communications and uh, once I get the 411 I'll send you the 411
Oh yeah, I appreciate you, man. All right, yeah, no problem. Not a problem at all. And uh, yes, I salute you. And from from this time forward, I, I must ask the question: <clears throat> Are we? Uh, the Earth is not flat. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> that stuff is horseshit. If you're listening and you think the Earth is flat, no. You go seek mental health immediately. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was, I, was, I, was, I was looking at a map earlier, the the United Nations map. I was like, dang, man, why do they make it look like it's flat? I mean, that's a, that one's still a mystery. I'm sorry, what do you, you want to ask me? Mystery juice. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, welcome to the uh, resistance. Well, thank you. It's, uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. <laughs> well... God bless you, my friend. There's plenty, much more to go. So much more to do. Um, gives me good reason to wake up every day. This is the first podcast I've ever been on, other than the ones I've been shooting. Yeah. Once you told me, um, once you told me that you had had a story to tell, I knew that I needed to have you on. I don't know if it was much of one, but it was just the one that I had, you know. Pretty groundbreaking and earth shattering, I think. And yes, I want to thank all the the listeners out there. Thank you all for listening to a call to actions. And uh, Chris, is your last name Bardu or Bardo? Bardu, B A R D O U. Bardu. Bardu, Chris Bardu, host of the Secret Circus podcast. Hold yes, on, sir. Hold on, poopy. Dude, I gotta, I gotta edit that out. I can't. We, we can't use your name. <laughs> I can't. You can use my name. Go ahead. I can. Okay, because yeah. okay, because at the beginning you said you wanted to go by CB. Yeah, I don't care. They can. Anybody that has an issue with it can suck it. It don't matter. It don't bother me at all. That's fine. You'll be, you'll be good. What are I gonna do? Take away my birthday? <laughs> All right, Chris Bardu, I salute you, fellow soldier. soldier. Peace, my brother. We'll be in contact. Thank you. Absolutely. God bless and uh, Mm -hmm. good work on everything you're doing. It's awesome, man. Ah, thank you. Great work on on everything you're doing, and things are lining up. And I I look forward to seeing more podcasts, Seeker Circus podcasts. If I can get my butt out of bed to do it, it's third shift is a nightmare. It is really hard. Yeah. It's well, hard to do anything when you're working third shift. It well, just kicks your butt. Yeah. Well, when you do things grassroots, that's just how it is. Very true. I salute you, brother. All right. We'll be in conversation. Bless, man. Peace. Peace out. Take a look around the world and you'll find that nearly all mass media is owned and controlled.
kids of distributing our news, our information, our ideas. People